Jesus, thank you that you are our teacher and our friend and our healer. This morning we pray you'll be our shepherd and our guide too. We've said as community that we want to be a, a, a fellowship of ministers. And so this morning would you help us think deeply about that, both for our own lives and our life together. I pray that in the things that you've called each of us to and all of us together, you'll give us a sense of courage, a sense of faithfulness, and maybe even a sense of uh, a willingness to experiment and try new things. So draw our hearts and minds together today, we pray. Amen. Good morning again. Um, many years ago, probably well, 15 or 20 years ago, I was at, is this working or is it just my hearing that's going in and out? What? Sorry. Anyway, many years ago, I was at Twin Rocks Friends Camp and I was asked to speak at the men's retreat. And Thank you, Jared. And Mark Kelly, who's a member of our community, was there with his father and his brother. And Mark has kids of his own now, so it was a while ago. I remember him being there. And the topic was sort of on being involved in ministry. And that particular day, I was talking about Romans chapter 6, where there's the text that says, Offer every part of your body as, a, as an instrument of righteousness. And in that passage, Paul's saying that we are, in fact, instruments of righteousness when we are in God's hands to be used for these really great, for different work. And I, I loved that phrase, instrument of righteousness. I thought, wouldn't that be a great title for a job? Colin Saxton, instrument of righteousness, right? And so even though I'm normally very serious, I jokingly said in the message that I would love to get some business cards that said, Colin Saxton, instrument of righteousness on them. And then, um, about six months later, Mark Kelly shows up in my office with this box of business cards that said, that say this. His dad had made them, and Mark and his brother Joel had come to the office. They were, I don't know, they were in high school or junior high or something, and they brought those to me. So for the last couple of weeks, as I've been thinking about this message, I have been wishing I could find that box of cards. I'm sure they're packed away in some place um, in my house or in my office, but I couldn't find them. And then, about two weeks ago, I'm walking from my office, which is down in the basement, back to Leslie's office, where I'm working sometimes, and in, those, in that row of free books there, some of which were mine, I looked at that row of books and I said, I think I don't want to give that book away. And there was a particular book on the shelf there, and so I, I reached out, I picked it up, I opened it, and that card was in it. That's actually a true story. So Nate and I were thinking, this must be a sign. I have no idea what the sign is yet. 
other than at this point in my life, I'm still a tool for God. So um, some people think I've got the tool part down, but um, anyway, I've learned over the years that being a single tool, even a useful one, is uh, severely limiting. And that was the point of the children's story, to say, even if you're really good at one thing, you're not good at everything. And in depending on the work, of course, one tool's not sufficient. Over and over, the scriptures remind us that we are one part among many. Each of us is a distinct part of the body of Christ, which Paul Bach's going to be talking about with us next week. We all have a particular calling. We all have unique distinct spiritual gifts. Distinct, I think, from our natural abilities or our talents, but we actually have an element, a power working within us that comes from God, that is beyond us. And so it's not something that I necessarily take pride in or anything else, because this is God working through me, working through you in ways that are necessary for what God is seeking to accomplish in the world. That notion of gifts gets described variously by Paul in about four different ways in the New Testament. He he talks about them as a charism or the charismata, the grace that is at work in you, an endowed gift of grace that uh, reveals the presence of God through you in a unique way. He talks about this pneumokatikos, this is the things of the spirit that are moving within each of us and between us as God is working out Um, whatever it is that God's seeking to do in the world. There's a sense that we are called to a life of service together that's reflected in gifts. The the word for deacon or serve or ministry is actually connected to the same sort of expression of gifts that we are all called to this ministry, collectively, to the work of God. And then lastly, he speaks about it as this energy, this kind of superpower, if you will, that is at work in individuals, but also in the body of Christ, that winds up maturing us. It grows us up into the image of God so that we can more faithfully carry out the work that God's doing. So gifts, it seems to me, is sort of a mystery that defies being labeled in one particular way, but it's the part of how the Spirit is working in and through us. And it's something that we get to nurture, we get to practice, we get to experiment with and use for God's glory and for the good of others. And it gets lived out in our ordinary everyday lives, in our families, in your work, in your neighborhoods, which is what Colossians 3 reminds us, that in everything we do, we do it unto the Lord. It also gets lived out within our faith community, the the ways in which we interact here as a community and the things we're called to do together. 1 Peter 4 says to use whatever those gifts are to serve one another and to build each other up here in the body of Christ. And as we do, Paul says that we are joined in this ministry of reconciliation where this presence of this new community is working to help restore people's relationship to God, to one another, within themselves, and to creation. And since we're focusing this next couple of months on our life as a body, I'm particularly interested in thinking about how it is we work together, how we co-labor in a shared spirit of ministry. 
So again, the children's story is a reminder that we need more than one tool in the toolbox, more than the hammer of righteousness, or as I like to think of myself as the, the blunt force instrument of mercy. Yes, thank you. Um, but beyond the work that I'm called to or the work that any of you are called to, there really are some things that we are called to that require us to learn how to collaborate with one another and to cooperate and to rely on each other in some unique ways. And I think that's actually integral to this notion of us becoming mature. That it's not just me, it's us figuring this out together because of the way God is at work in and through us. The text I want to look at this morning comes from 1 Corinthians 3. Uh, verses 5 to 9. Paul writes, What is, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each their task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. So neither he who plants nor she who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and each will be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. The context in Corinth is different than ours today here in Newburgh. Paul's writing a church that is really struggling with being immature, and so he calls them Babies, if you read the first part of chapter 3 and beginning of chapter 1, he says you're acting like infants in the gospel. They focus more on themselves than on others. They're interested in acquiring wealth and pleasing themselves than they are about working for the kingdom of God. Their initial sense of passion, this passionate desire to be faithful and to grow in Christ, has been distracted and diverted by things. And so now, Paul says, you've become no different than everyone around you. There's nothing distinct about who you are as Jesus' people. And so, sadly, and the other thing that's going on in them, within them is this great sense of division. They're arguing with one another. Um, there's factions that are forming around different leaders. One loves Leslie, the other loves Nate, or in this case, it's Paul and Apollos. They're focused on them. They've become, in some ways, spectators, watching what these leaders, these ministers are doing and aligning themselves with them rather than taking up this collective task of sharing in a community of ministry where everyone's doing their part. And so instead of pulling together, they're being pulled apart by this spirit of division. They're not focusing on the one true head, the one leader, the one shepherd who's meant to guide and lead us. So here Paul um, reminds us again that leaders such as Paul and Apollos are simply servants who are each given certain responsibilities by Jesus. Their roles are distinct, they have different gifts and abilities, but their significance is found in the Christ who is at work in them. In this case, Paul was asked to plant. He was the one who established the church. Apollos comes along later to nurture it and help make sure it grows and leads it to this place of maturity. So along the way, he says, I planted, Apollos watered, 
showing that each one has this particular but limited ministry. They couldn't do everything, and they weren't intended to do everything. But he uses a different tense within this, this passage to describe how God is at work. He says, but God kept giving the growth, highlighting how God's always at work and will continue to be at work, even though Paul and, Paul and Apollos' roles were limited and of a certain duration. In, in this passage, Paul says two more things about leadership. One is that various leaders have a common purpose for a common good, to build up the ministry. That we, again, we, as individuals, we may have our own our own ministries in various places, but as a community, we each have our place here and for a common purpose and goal. And he closes the paragraph, or this particular section, by saying that these leaders are co-workers who belong to God. And he says it in this really emphatic sense that the church, that the ministry is not yours, it's not mine, but it's God's. And so how do we learn to submit ourselves to God and to one another so that that is actually true in not just what we say, but in our practice? Well, the focus here on the leaders, um, on, focused by people in the congregation on leaders, is where the body gets hung up sometimes, right? We have this sort of cult of personality, especially in our culture today. You see it all over in the church where I, I just don't understand it where folks get so focused on a particular minister or, and what she or he is doing. And it's always a problem in the church, and it's a problem within the pastoral system that we friends in this, in this part of friends have turned to. We can get really focused on the person who is the pastor. Our focus becomes on how we support them, not working alongside them. We give to support their ministry rather than giving to the collective work that God's trying to do within us as a community, where we all contribute our time and our talent and our treasure to this shared sense of this is, this is how the Spirit is working through this particular body. The Quaker corrective historically has been to say, you're all ministers, every one of you. Everyone in this room is a minister. Everybody has a gift or multiple gifts. Pastors may have a distinct role, an important role, a certain set of responsibilities, but they're not better than any of the gifts that you all have and the capacity you carry. They provide expertise, they share in leadership, but it's not their church, any more than it's your church or my church because it's Christ's church. This is Jesus' church. And our work together is to come around, to listen, to pay attention, and to learn to work in this coordinated fashion so that when people look at us, they think, I see, I see the truth of Jesus in them. Well, we know this, of course, um, but sometimes we can easily fall into that pattern. And we can also fall into the pattern of church becoming kind of a spectator sport rather than participatory. And you see that in lots of congregations, especially in, in sort of the post-COVID era. As churches are kind of waking up and stretching their muscles and trying to figure out who are we again and what are we doing? It's been a challenge in lots of places for folks to kind of find their way again. Years ago when I pastored in a little church in southern Idaho, um, the newspaper came out to interview me. 
in that community, if a barn door blew off, that was sort of front page news. And so a new pastor in town was sort of a big deal. And she came in, she interviewed me, she wanted to know all about me. She said, now Colin, do folks in the church call you pastor or reverend? And I laughed and I said, mm, on good days they call me Colin. And um, she said, what do you mean? I said, well, in our, in our church, we don't, we don't really go by titles and all that sort of stuff. And she said, well, you are the pastor, aren't you? And I said, yeah. And I thought, here's a teachable moment. Here's an opportunity for me to tell her a little bit about Quaker ecclesiology. And after about three minutes, I could see that her eyes rolled back in her head. And this was going nowhere. And so finally, she sort of interrupts me. And she said, well, I can tell you I'm never coming to your church. And, and I secretly breathed a prayer of thanks. But, um, but she said, I go to church to be ministered to not to minister to others. And I thought, that's how actually a lot of people are, right? And there's nothing wrong, of course, with coming to receive ministry, to be ministered to, to find nurture and comfort and support and encouragement. But when that becomes the sole focus, that's where I think often churches go off the rails and bad things happen where we get into conflicts with one another. We start fighting about who we like and who we don't like. We start arguing about unimportant things that just don't matter. G.K. Chesterton was a writer who I think captured this really well. He said, in the late afternoon, when the children tire of their games, it's then they turn to torturing the cat. <laughs> and I see that happening a lot in the church. Right? When we stop focusing on the fun, the excitement, the adventure of what it is we're actually called to, that's when we start turning on each other. We torture the cat. Well, North Valley has a long, wonderful history of being a congregation that nurtures and encourages individuals to serve in their individual ministries, in their families, in their places of worship, or places of work, in their neighborhoods and beyond. Over the years, I've known several teachers who have those of you who are teachers have incredibly demanding jobs, and your work is ministry. Who've, been, who've said to me and others, we appreciate being able to come here and find fellowship and support and care so that we can go back out into our small communities and make a difference. And I'm so glad that we are that kind of congregation for teachers and social workers and laborers and leaders of all different, of, of all jobs of all kinds. We are that kind of community. We've also been a place of healing for those who come from congregations where maybe they've been beaten up or bruised and wounded. And this can be a place where folks can, can find some respite and some healing. And I hope that that will never change. We've also been a congregation, though, that struggled sometimes to know who we are, what we do together, and how we go about it how we complement one another, how we use our gifts rather collectively rather than wearing one person out or wearing a few people out. That's been a challenge for us. So part of this visioning process that we're in is to try to help us think through that a little bit more, to do some deeper discernment, to have some conversations, to do some exploration, ultimately to make some decisions and then implement some new plans for how we are refocusing on tending the field 
here that God has called us to in our place and time. To pay attention to what Jesus is asking us to do collectively, who's to go about doing it, and how do we support one another in that work. And to get a sense of the gifts we share among us, how they might be better utilized or right-sized, so that everybody finds their place, that church becomes a place that brings meaning and adds to our lives, rather than feels like one more thing that we are doing or wearing us out. And then hopefully to determine how best to support one another in this shared work. We're gonna spend the rest of a meeting hour in um, open worship. And these are some things to think about, but not necessarily for today. I mean, hopefully as part of being the community of ministers, said a couple weeks ago, you have been paying attention all week to what God might be saying in your life. You may have a message that has nothing to do with hammers or, um, or being co-laborers, it may, it may, but it may be really important for us to hear that message today. So be faithful if that's the case. These questions might give you something to focus on today, um, but my hope is actually that it'll be something you'll think about throughout this week. Do you have a sense of your own personal call to ministry? Do you know what that is? Do you have a sense of what your spiritual gifts are? And if not, maybe there's some ways that we, can, we, the congregation here, can help with that. Are there ways North Valley can better equip and encourage you in the ministry that God is doing through you? Maybe you feel like you're out there all alone. You don't have the support you need. Say that. And let's figure it out together. Is there a ministry within the meeting that you feel nudged to explore? Right? I love thinking about church as a laboratory for experimentation. So if you think there's something I might like to, to do, let's talk about it and see what that looks like. And then finally, what other tools do you need around you um, in this season of service?